0: We're going to spend some time looking at the Bible now in more depth and detail, studying the book of Philippians. So I want to thank Jim Wilson for starting us off on our series last week, beginning Philippians for us. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Philippians. We'll be continuing in Philippians chapter 1 today. We're calling the series Risk Everything. Risk Everything. And what we're really trying to focus on is the reality that right now in our culture is a very insecure time. This is a time where we're going to be tempted because of the chaos and because of the craziness to kind of turn inward, to begin trying to protect ourselves more rather than risking things for Jesus. And so we want to look at the example of Jesus himself. The anchor point of the book of Philippians is Philippians chapter 2 that, that highlights how Jesus gave up everything for us. And the Apostle Paul is also going to praise the Philippian church and say, you sacrificed greatly and you have partnered in the gospel. Um, And then he's going to invite us to give as well. And so as we think about risking everything, we want to this week focus on the idea of buying in. Buying in to the gospel is the name of the sermon this week as we look at verses 3 through 8. Buy in to the gospel. And there's a key word called partnership. This word is, in the Greek, koinonia, and the word koinonia is typically translated in other books of the New Testament as fellowship. Have you ever heard the word fellowship before? Raise your hand, some of you heard that. Uh, Fellowship, in Christian circles, if you didn't grow up in the church, fellowship is often associated with like having a dinner, eating ice cream or fried chicken together, hanging out, right? Um, And that's certainly part of fellowship. It's a togetherness that is definitely there, but the most common way that word would be used in the first century was a business venture. Uh, D.A. Carson is a New Testament scholar, and D.A. Carson says, like, if you have one poor fisherman that didn't have enough money for a fishing boat, and he had another friend that had some money but not enough, and a third friend that had some money but not enough, those three friends could pool their resources and buy in together and own a business partnership, a fishing boat. They could begin sharing in the work of fishing together. That's what the word partnership means. And so as we talk about buying into the gospel, really what we're talking about is a business venture where we say, what Jesus has given to me is of such value that I want to invest in growing to know him, following him, and sharing what he's given me with others. So it's a partnership. It's a business venture, if you will. We are called on to buy in to the gospel. So we'll read... Chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel. That's the key word. Because of your partnership in the gospel. From this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day Of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is inviting them to continue the partnership in the gospel. He's inviting us as well to partner in the gospel, to buy in, to invest in what Jesus is doing in the world, in our individual lives and throughout this globe. Two ways that we can look at this. One is that personally, we have to make a decision to trust Jesus, to buy into what he said, to say, Jesus, I trust that I can't save myself, that only what you've done for me on the cross is enough only your death and resurrection can give me life and wholeness. That's a very personal level of buying in. Paul is going one step further here talking about then buying into extending that good news to other people, being a part of what Jesus is doing in the world through the local church, being the hands and feet of Jesus, as it says in the New Testament, the body of Christ in this world. So the question is, are we also going to buy in? Let me Pray for us and ask God to teach us from his word. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you have given us instruction, that you speak to us in a world where we long to hear your voice. We believe that, that you speak through the word that we hear from Jesus. We hear your authority. We see your relevance and you guide us. We pray that your spirit would now meet our study of the word, that your spirit would open our eyes and our hearts, that we would be receptive to you, that we would not resist and have stubborn hearts, but that we would be tender towards you, that we would have open minds, that we would see our need of you, and we would see your goodness, and we would be excited about what you're doing in the world. We pray that you would help us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Jim mentioned last week, the Philippian church actually has some similarities to the Fort Hood area. The Philippian uh, colony, the city of Philippi, was a Roman colony, and what the Roman uh, government would do is if you had bought into military service, in return, you would get the benefit of Roman citizenship and Roman citizenship gave you a lot of benefits, but specifically, they would give their retired military uh, officers opportunities to have good homes and a nice place in a nice new city, new Roman colony that they were building or reestablishing here in Philippi. And so, in a similar way to this community, we have military people who had already bought into service They'd already bought into serving their government. They'd already bought into serving their fellow man, and they were receiving the benefits from that. Now, Paul is praising them and saying, not only did you buy into this lifetime of service to other people, but you actually bought into the gospel. You believed the truth that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You bought into that, and you have now shared with me in my ministry. Paul is talking this ministry of grace, of sharing this good news with other people. And so that's the question for us. As Paul moves through this text, he's going to try to lure us in, even as he lures them in, with benefits, right? Like if I came to you and I tried to get you to buy into a business, I'd say, well, here's, here's the potential, right? Here's what you could receive if you buy into this business. And, and Paul gives some of those benefits as well. So three things that Paul lists in this text that are a, re- a result of buying into the gospel and the gospel work in the world. One is that the gospel sparks affection in our lives. And this is probably the, the main theme throughout this section. You probably heard the different ways he said that. But basically, he's saying that he has affection for them, they have affection for him, and it's all rooted in Jesus Christ's affection for us, right? And so there's a genuine affection, a genuine family community feel we get as we buy into the gospel and what Jesus is doing. The second thing that we see is Paul points out that the gospel completes us. It's completed by God. And that is really important because all of us know there are, There are days when we feel up to it, when we feel like we can achieve what God has called us to achieve, but but many days we recognize, honestly, we're we're not enough. We need God's external help. We need God's grace. We need God's sovereign dominion, his leadership, his power. And so Paul points that out. He says, you know what? God's going to complete what he started in your lives. And then the third thing that we see is that the gospel enables risk. That's our theme for this whole series. The gospel enables risk. It enables us to, to take chances, to do things that maybe we weren't brave enough to do before. And so as we look at this, there's one major objection that I wanna answer. Uh, I did a run through of kind of talking through my main ideas with, with some of our staff earlier in the week. And one of the things that they brought up was, well, what, what about the risk, right? What about the real danger of suffering as we buy in to the gospel. So here's how you might phrase this. Uh, If we do buy into the gospel, isn't there a chance that we might get hurt? If we buy in to the gospel, isn't there a chance that we might suffer, that we might miss out on other good things? And, And here's the answer. I've got hard news for you. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. If you buy into the gospel a very real chance that you're going to hurt, that you're going to suffer, that you're going to miss out. And before we look at the Philippians text in more detail, let me give you another text from 2 Corinthians that I think is helpful to put this in perspective. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The gospel doesn't promise that you'll never suffer in this world. The gospel promises that in Christ and in the priorities that he has for your life, he has something much better to come. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, and you can be a part of what he's doing to share his grace with others. So is there a great chance of suffering? Yes, yes, there is. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So, we have these three things These to point out. The gospel sparks affection. It's completed by God and it enables risk. The first one is that the gospel sparks affection. Um, verse 3 says, Paul thanks God every time he remembers them. He's thankful for them, right? That's one form of affection. Verse 4 says, he prays with joy for them. He feels real joy because of their partnership in the gospel. Verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. Words of affection. You you belong to me. You're in my heart. Verse 8, he says it this way. I long for you with the affection of Christ. This is really interesting as he brings Christ into it. There's a sense in which Paul is saying that affection that Christ has for you, I now am sharing in and now I have this affection for you as well. These words, long for and affection in the Greek, they're very strong words. It's like he yearns for them. There's this uh, strong desire to be with them, to partner with them, to see them face to face, to work side by side with them. He He loves them. And this word affection is often translated in the New Testament as uh, compassion. It's a Greek word, splenicomai, and it's one of my favorite Greek words because it's a word picture in the Greek. It's an idiom. It's literally the moving of guts. And so it's often used of Jesus aching in his guts and feeling empathy and compassion towards others. So we see this picture repeatedly in the gospels that Jesus has this kind of aching affection for us. He's moved towards us in our pain, and that's the same language that Paul is using here to describe his affection for the Philippians and saying, and that's the affection of Christ Jesus, right? So there's a sense in which, as you and I know the affection that Jesus has for us, Philippians 2 is the anchor point of this entire letter. Philippians 2 says Jesus didn't, couldn't leave well enough alone to just enjoy equality with God and to stay in heaven, but he gave that up. He emptied himself. He moved towards us, Philippians 2 says. He lived a painful life of suffering, even to the point of death for us. The gospel is at its root, Jesus' affection for you and me. He loved us. He took our sin upon himself on the cross. He gives us his resurrection life. He has affection for us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So Paul's passing this on. I have affection for you, Philippians, because of the affection of Jesus Christ for me. There's another interesting thing that we see as we trace this theme out throughout the letter of Philippians and even across the rest of the New Testament. As you receive the affection that Jesus has for you, you can't help but have affection for others. It's going to spill out. And as you have affection for others, you're going to have your affections stirred up for Jesus Christ himself. It's this amazing circle. It's hard to know where it stops and where it ends. I was teaching a theology class this week online, and we were talking about the way that this works with obedience as well. Set aside affection for a minute. Just think about obedience to Jesus. Sometimes obedience looks hard. We live in a culture that more and more is saying, don't obey Jesus, obey your own desires, right? And as followers of Jesus, we essentially say, man, the, the culture's making a pretty strong argument. That's tempting me to just follow my desires, but I see that Jesus gave himself for me. That is clear. I might be wavering on morality and obedience, and I might be tempted to disobey God, but I'm so sure that God loves me. I'm so sure that Jesus died for me that I'm going to take the next step of obedience, even if it looks painful. I'm going to take the next step of obedience, even if it seems nonsensical by our culture standards. And as I obey Jesus, that actually helps me to see how good he is. So you see how this works? Sometimes all you're sure of is Jesus, and you step out in obedience. You can't really make the case very strongly for like all the benefits that that obedience will bring. You're like, I'm not really sure. My friends are telling me I'm crazy. I'm just going to obey Jesus. But as you obey him, you see more and more that he is worthy of obedience he is good and these things work together the same thing is true with affection as you step out and you show affection to others you love people you serve people you help people God uses that to stir your affection for him sometimes you start with the clarity of God's affection for you sometimes that's where it starts and you just overflow in affection for others sometimes you're just like that person needs affection sometimes you know The Greek word, splenchnizomai. My my guts are just moved towards them, and I just can't help. I just got to help them, right? I just got to do something. In that act of simple obedience, Jesus stirs your affections for him. Human beings need affection. We need affection. It's, It's important. It's fundamental to who we are. The Nazis did some horrible experiments during World War II where they divided babies into two categories, and some babies... Uh, they gave normal affection to, they sang to them, they cuddled them, they talked to them, they held them. The other category of babies, they gave all the same biological needs of feeding and physical care, but they didn't show them any affection. And some of those babies that were never shown any affection actually died. They failed to thrive. Human beings need affection, throughout the New Testament, we're commanded to show affection, physical affection even, right? You may not be familiar with this, but it appears in a lot of places. It's greet each other with a holy kiss. You ever read that in the New Testament? Greet each other with a holy kiss. It sounds weird to us because uh, we're not as kissy in our Anglo culture as they are in Middle Eastern culture. Um, so I think Anglos like to translate that as greet each other with a holy side hug, right? That's kind of the way we translate that. But basically what it means is Show affection, just not creepy affection. That, that's what the church is challenged to do. Like, show affection to each other, show normal, standard affection, just not creepy, right? So, holy, make it holy affection. But we are to show affection for one another. And I think COVID has really highlighted that this year. Um, we long for human affection, we long for face to face communication, we long for hugs and handshakes and pats on the back, and it's been hard for us to figure out how to do it, you know? Um, do we, you know, do we do like a hold your breath and then hug each other really quick or, you know, what's the right way to do that? And different people have just tried to, you know, expand their bubble so they could show more affection. And I want to encourage you to keep pressing towards that, that that is an important part of our life. Just basic human affection. It's important to us. We need it. I also want to take it a step further though and say that really there's also spiritual affection that we need to show to one another. We're continually challenged with the one another statements of the New Testament to forgive one another, to bear with one another, to love one another, to encourage one another, to come alongside one another, to help one another, to serve one another. Are you giving the gift of time to people? Are you giving the gift of listening to people? Are you giving the gift of prayer to people? One of the ways we talk about this a lot of applying it is, uh, we, we have groups, right, classes, Bible studies, home groups, groups that meet up at the church that you can join, and, and those are really helpful for the spiritual life, for, for sharing the one another's of life. But with all the weirdness this year and everybody being so disjointed with COVID, one of the things we've encouraged you to do is just start your own group, right? We've called them three by five groups. We've said, well, there's just, you just need three people and five things. It's a secret. It could actually be two or four people as well. It'll still work. Um, But the idea is just grab three people and do five things. Share your high, share your low, read a scripture, share what the scripture means, and pray for each other. We're just trying to break it down to these just fundamental levels of what does it mean to show Christian affection for one another, to, as James talks about, confess our sins one for another, pray for each other that we may be healed. What does it look like to do those one another's to show Christian affection? What are the next steps for you? What are next steps that you can take Here's another one specifically. Are there friends of yours that have dropped off the map? You just haven't seen in a while. You haven't talked to in a while. Pray that the Lord would give you wisdom to say, okay, I need, I need to call them. I need to text them. Whatever your form of communication is, I need to touch base with this person and show some basic affection, the love of Christ. Take those next steps to show the affection that the gospel is rooting in our hearts. God loved me, Jesus was willing to leave the comfort of heaven for me, and I'm going to leave the comfort of my ordinary life to to show affection for others. I'm so thankful for the way I see that lived out in our body. Just as Paul has seen it in their community, I see that in our community as well. So I want to say thank you for the ways that you already do this. And then just as Paul is saying to the Philippian church, I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Pray that the Lord would show you next ways to do this. So the second thing that we see is that the gospel is completed by God. This is a really important key verse. So the affection thing is just sprinkled all over this passage. But this uh, verse about being completed by God is in verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says, uh, "...being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus." He will bring it to completion. This word completion is the sense of maturity. Sometimes it's translated as perfection. It's like what something was intended to. It's right and proper end, like where it's supposed to go. And so the idea here is that Jesus started his work in you, right? Philippians 2, again, anchor of this whole book. Jesus saw us in our sin and left heaven and came after after us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? So God initiates, God starts this whole process. When you have faith in Jesus, it's because of what Jesus has done, not because of how awesome you are. And so that is the start. That's the first drop of investment. That's the first drop of buying into the gospel is, I see you, Jesus. I see you gave yourself for me. I trust you. I'm not going to trust my sin. I'm not going to trust my gifts. I'm going to trust you. And he says, not only is that started by Jesus, God's going to complete what he has started in your life. Do you trust that the God of the universe is not done with you yet? Or are you tempted like me to think, yeah, God forgave me, but I don't know that he likes me anymore. It's so easy to fall into that. We have to be reminded, no, he, he likes you. He's with you. He sees you as beautiful and as perfect as Jesus himself. He is with you, and he's going to finish what he started. I was reading another theology book this week, the, the Name of God, Yahweh. Most often translated, I am that I am, from his interaction with Moses in Exodus. But a lot of scholars believe it, it, it's a step farther than that. It's not only I am who I am, and that's the way he reveals his covenant name, but he's, he's taking it a little step farther and saying, I will be for you, who I was for Abraham. I will be for you who I was for Jacob. I will be there for you. That's the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. The most common promise that God gives is, I will be your God. I will dwell among you. You will be my people. He says that again and again and again in the Old Testament. And they're longing to see that fulfilled. And then when is it fulfilled? It's fulfilled when Jesus comes and lives the perfect life that we couldn't live, dies a sacrificial death that we deserve to die, and rises from the grave, proving that he's conquered sin and death once and for all. So that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Do you believe he's with you? Do you believe he will complete you? He will finish what he started in your life. One of my favorite pictures of this is from the 1992 Olympics. There was a British runner named Derek Redmond. He'd had some problems with injuries in the past. He'd had some surgeries. He had recovered. He'd made it back into the Olympic finals. He's running the 100-meter dash with the fastest men in the world. And as he's sprinting down the track, one of his muscles tears. His leg jerks. He hits the ground. He's, he's writhing in pain. He can't complete the race. He, he can't even get up. There's this old pudgy middle-aged man in the stands that jumps up and starts pushing past everybody. And he runs down the stands and he jumps over the rail. Then he pushes the security guard out of the way and he runs out on the track and he grabs Derek and he picks him up. This is Derek's father. And Derek's father picks him up and he walks him to the finish line. He, he completes the race with him. And this is such a beautiful Picture. There will be times in your life where you are rolling around on the ground in pain and you need to know that the God of the universe says, I will be there with you. I will finish what I started in your life. Do you believe that? Is that your picture of who God is? Or do you have some other picture of a God like, all right, well, you, you figure it out, pick yourself up, You're going to have to start finishing this in your own life. You're going to have to figure this out. You're going to have to solve your own problem. I'm going to wait for you to clean yourself up. The God of the universe says, I'm with you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus left the comforts of heaven. He came after us. He's, He's with us. He's going to complete what he started. And the real question is, do we believe it? The second question is, how would we live differently if we really believed that, Right? How would we, believe, how would we live differently if we really believed that that was true? What I find, is, the way this affects my prayer life, is often I think, I have a real spiritual need. You know what? I need, to, I need to clean my life up a little more before I run to God with that. And what you need to know is, is no, you, you run to God right now. Say, God help me. I need you. You run to him right now. You pray. I think it also enables us to actually participate and partner with other people. Um, that's the major theme here, right? Paul's talking about how much the, the Philippians have, have partnered with, with him. Paul is like super Christian, right? He's like the greatest Christian hero second to Jesus in the New Testament, and yet he needs people to partner with him. And so he's pointing us to this little secret that if you trust God to be there with you, if you trust God to complete what he started in your life, you will actually begin to trust other people. Isn't that crazy? It seems backwards, right? You think, well, if I trust God, I've got all I need. I don't need people. No. Trusting God gives us that insulation, gives us that security, gives us the grace to actually be able to lean on other people, to participate, to take the risk of of offering, our own gifts to serve others, but it also opens up this avenue of asking for grace. I, I need help. Just like in our prayer life, the clearer we are about God being with us drives us to talk to him, the clearer we are about God being with us and completing what he started in our, our life also leads us to partner with other believers to share in life together. So my question for you is, what are next steps that you can take what are crazy things you might try knowing that God will completely uh, complete you if, if you fall down on the track and can't finish it? He'll help you finish. What, what might you try if you believe that? What are ways you might partner with other people? What are ways you might love other people, serve with other people, if you really believe that God will complete you? Pray that God would show you what some next steps are that you can take. Not that it would be, okay, God, I'm going to do everything. No, what's one specific thing? God, show me something this week that I can do based on the reality that, that you will complete what you started in my life. Philippians two twelve and thirteen is uh, kind of a reinforcement of this concept of God finishing what he started, completing what he started in our life. Philippians two twelve says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed so not so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a famous verse from Philippians Work hard, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Live out the stuff that Jesus has done in your heart, right? Apply it, live it, do it. But then verse 13 is really beautiful. Philippians 2.13, for, why do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is sovereignly as the king of the universe working out his will in your life. It's his good pleasure to work through you and to work through me. And he will complete what he has started. We have a sovereign, mighty, powerful king who can finish what he started in our life. I love the picture of, of, you know, pudgy dad picking up Olympic athlete and carrying him across the finish line. Our, Our heavenly father is way stronger than that. He's way bigger than that and he's with us and he will help us complete what he started in our life. The last thing I want us to see is that the gospel enables risk. The gospel enables risk. We see this, I think, most vividly in verse seven. There's again cross-references throughout Philippians. Paul's really just kind of introducing themes that he's gonna keep coming back to through the rest of the book here. But verse seven says it this way. "Um, It is right for me to feel this way about you all to feel this way, everything he said before, the, the affection he has for them, God's going to complete what he started, all the other things he said before. It's right for me to feel this way or to think this way about you. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Uh, participants, partakers, sharers in grace, a lot of different ways it's translated. This is that same koinonia word, participation. Partnership, same word. It's just got a, an added beginning to it, uh, which is the Greek prefix S-Y-N. So we have like synthesis. It means, it means with, right? Um, so it's like partnership with an added with because partnership's already a with kind of word. So it's like extra withness here. He's saying you are extra with, partnering, partaking with me of grace. So I've said this before. Partnership in the gospel participating in what God's doing in the world, it starts with a personal trust, faith in Jesus. But then it rolls out into us being his hands and feet in the world, right? So Paul is, is mixing this up. Both, are, both go together. It's, we want to kind of divide these things like, okay, I, I meet Jesus and I trust in him. That's one kind of partnership. And then there's this other kind of partnership over here where I do God's work in the world, And it always bleeds together, right? Why? Because God is the one willing and working in your life. Because God is, he's transforming you. He's changing you so you can't help but connect the one to the other. And Paul's mixing that up here as well. Many times in the New Testament, Paul talks about the grace of his ministry. He talks about the grace of the work that God has him doing in the world, sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And here specifically, it makes even more sense that that's where he's Leaning because of the next phrase. You're partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Other translations say, my chains. Sounds a little more stark, right? So you're sharing with me in grace. What kind of grace are we sharing with Paul in? We're sharing in Paul's grace of imprisonment. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like that makes no sense, right? That's not how we think of grace. But Paul's like, yeah, it's a grace. It's a gift from God. It's a sweet, beautiful thing from God that I get to share the gospel with other people. And sometimes that's in jail. Sometimes that's in a a court testimony. Sometimes that's preaching in a synagogue. Sometimes that's preaching in the Areopagus in Athens. Sometimes nobody believes. Sometimes hundreds of people believe. Sometimes there's a riot and I get kicked out of town, but it's all grace. And Paul's saying, we get to share in that same grace you and I get to be a part of that now we we've got to be clear about this right because as christians we shouldn't we shouldn't like pursue suffering on purpose right the way i worded this is that the gospel enables risk it makes risk okay in our life god doesn't want us to just hurt ourselves this is not a poverty gospel right We can get all mixed up about this because in today's world, we have two really common false gospels that we swing back and forth between, right? Real common one is the prosperity gospel. If you just believe enough or give enough, everything will turn out right in your life. You'll have lots of prosperity. The other extreme then is the poverty gospel. We can react to the prosperity gospel and say, okay, since that's not the answer, God just wants me to be miserable, right? (laughs) And sometimes seeing Paul and seeing Jesus and seeing their great sacrifice, we can think, Okay, that's the goal, as much death and pain and difficulty as possible. Well, when you look at Jesus' life, the rest of his life was somewhat normal, right? All that pain and death was right at the end. And so it's not like every day necessarily is going to look like that. So when you keep the, the balance in perspective, we're pursuing Jesus. We're following Jesus. And then as we follow him and trust him, sometimes he's going to take us through great pain Sometimes he's going to take us through great prosperity so that later in Philippians, Paul says the secret of contentment when he's got good things, because it's tricky to stay content in Jesus when you have a good life, and the secret of contentment when he doesn't have good things, when you're suffering, it's hard to stay content when you're suffering. He says the secret either way is Jesus. The secret is Christ. So, so again, the goal is not pursue poverty and difficulty, Or pursue prosperity with everything you've got. Hold both of those things loosely and say, Jesus, I'm just going to follow you. I'm just going to follow you, Jesus. And that enables risk. When Jesus says, hey, next week we're going to do something crazy. You're like, all right, Jesus, I'm following you. Let's go. It enables you to take steps that probably would have seemed crazy to you before. The gospel enables risk. So again, in Philippi, Paul says, Man, you guys have shared with me in this grace, the grace of my imprisonment, my testimonies, my defense, my confirmation of the gospel. Um, there's another cross-reference I want to point out to you. love this one. It says in Philippians: 129, "For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for His sake." Philippians 130 says, "Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here." that I still have. So very beginning, I said, does buying into the gospel mean we might suffer? Yes, yes it does. Does that mean our goal is suffering? No, our goal is not suffering. Our goal is serving Jesus. Our goal is loving each other. Loving God, loving each other. We love because he first loved us. The gospel will, ena- will enable risk. It'll enable you to be brave and do things you never thought you could do before. Your goal in life is not to be brave. Your goal in life is to follow Jesus. And sometimes he's gonna ask you to be real brave. He's gonna take you into difficult places. He's gonna take you in a direction where he'll say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to take your investment out of these things that you've been finding security in and invest more fully in me, right? Uh, a great piece of literature, classical literature, uh, a lot of you may be familiar with is called Mary Poppins. Have you heard of Mary Poppins. Great, uh, I actually never read the book, but I've seen the movie. And in the movie, there's this beautiful character arc in the dad character, Mr. Banks. Mr. Banks, it's a play on words. He's all about the bank. He's all about the money. And he doesn't really love his children or have time for them. And through a series of magical, mysterious events, right, he, his heart begins to turn. He begins to take his investment out of the bank, and put his investment in the kids and in the family. In the Old Testament, there are these prophecies that say, in the end times, God's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. So, of course, Mary Poppins is not a Christian parable by any means, but it has a beautiful little picture there of that turn of our character, of an enabling us to say, I thought that money was Everything. And now I realize Jesus is everything. So I'm no longer invested here. I'm now invested in him. My treasure is now in heaven. My treasure is now Jesus. And again, the point of that is not Jesus really wants you to be poor. No, the point is he wants you to invest in him. And some days you're going to be rich and some days you're going to be poor. But you're going to trust him either way. The secret to contentment. Being able to do all things in Christ is, is Christ himself. It's who he is. He's worth it. So applying this, what are ways that you're too invested in the here and now? You're too invested in your own security. The, the craziness of the world, the pandemic, uh, uncertainty, political situation, riots, craziness, everything falling apart. In what ways is that making you want to like turn inward and guard yourself. Say, Lord, show me how you want me to invest what you've given me for you and your kingdom. Simple ways are are giving to the Lord's work, right? Giving to a local church like our church. Many of you do that. We thank you for that. Giving to projects in the area that that help people in the name of Jesus, like Hope Pregnancy Center or Foster Love Bell County. Giving to other missionaries overseas. You can give your money and invest in spiritual things instead of just investing in your own comfort. But that's a way to do that. Uh, There are other ways you can give your time, right? Serving on a team, we talk about that a lot here, serving your neighbors. I want to just take a minute to praise you and praise the Christians I've seen all over the city through the winter storm in great suffering and, and great craziness serving other people. You were taking people into your homes, you were bringing water to people, You were bringing generators to people. You were bringing food to people. There were countless stories of that. And I want to say thank you. The gospel enabled that risk. And I want to say, way to go. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing that kind of thing. Let's keep sharing what we have for God's glory, to love others in his name. Thank you for the ways that you live this out. I'm so thankful to be a part of this community and to see so many examples of it not just during a winter storm, I've seen it over years. So I thank you for that, and I'd ask you to pray, Lord, what's next for me? We can get overwhelmed when we see all the needs out there. Just, Lord, show me one need. What's one, one need I can, I can meet? What's one next step that I can take? I want to wrap up our time here. As we think about buying into the gospel, one of my favorite parables that Jesus uses to talk about this idea of investment and buying in and partnering in the gospel and his kingdom is in Matthew 13. It's called the parable of the treasure in the field. Matthew 13, Jesus says, this is what my kingdom is like. Jesus says, this is what it's like to live with me and for my glory, is it's like someone found a treasure in the field and that treasure was so valuable that this guy ran and sold everything he had so he could buy that field. It's a a relative value. And so what we're asking you to do is to not no longer value anything in your life. We're saying value Jesus the most. Risk everything doesn't mean, you know, try to tear your life apart and blow everything up. No, risk everything means run to Jesus. See, Jesus is more valuable than anything else in your life. Run to him, buy into what he's doing in the world and then leave the results to him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us we thank you that you're working in our lives. We pray that you would teach us how to do this. This is beyond us, and we need your spirit to make these things work. God, we pray that you would be honored, and that as we see your goodness, we would buy in to what you're doing in us already and how you want to continue to do these things through the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.